that one right there, that's a really, really good one. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9, while we are standing, it's very good to have Brother Carlos and Sister Michelle Reese with us this morning. They surprised Sister Frida and Brother Gary, and we're so happy to have them in service with us today. <clears throat> Amen. He is a chaplain in the what? Army. He is a chaplain in the Army. He told me that he has been there 30 plus, 36? 36 years as a chaplain, and he's been all over the place. And so we need to honor him and his wife and his family here this morning. God bless you. It's so good to have you in service with us uh, today. Amen. Praise God. And everybody else, I don't know, some of you may have looked around and you saw Barrick and Kelsey and Winnie and the twins. Uh, they surprised mom and dad. Bre Brother Grogan, if, if you don't know, he is the uh, property manager. That is what he does. It includes a lot of stuff. And it includes overseeing the property. And so he, he, we had this conversation that they were coming home to stay, but it, it was supposed to be a secret because they were coming to visit. So they wanted to come and visit and then spring it on them that they're actually moving home. And so he calls me, texts me, and he says, do you know whose U-Haul this is in the parking lot? I said, I have no clue. Sometimes people just park and leave stuff, so you never know. And I disconnected the conversation of keeping it a secret and the U-Haul, so I, I was honest. I have no clue, have no idea. Uh, and so he is frantically trying to figure out who left the U-Haul in the parking lot of the church just sitting here happens to be his son and his daughter-in-law and his grandchildren. So Brett and Marlene are very happy, and we are very, very happy that you are home. Amen. We're very, very grateful for your family, and we're excited that you are with us again. So it's good to see everybody in the house of God today. What a great day and a good anointing that we feel in the house of the Lord. How many of you knew about Sister Kendra's testimony? All right, quite a few of you did. A lot of you might not have, but thank you very, very much. <clears throat> There's a lot that goes into that story. And uh, if you're facing those kind of giants, you can win. Praise God. You can win. Praise God. I said you can win. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's what I'm going to preach today. I'm going to preach, really, it was a God thing, Sister Pertel, because this is what I'm preaching. Your testimony, along with some other uh, conversations, have spurred my inspiration to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. This is a very, very tough standard, and we're going to read the text, and we're going to leave it in the difficult position. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we're going to leave it there. That's a very, very tough standard. That is a, that's, a, that's a difficult passage. And we're going to leave it right there. And so I want to leave it there. And the title of the message this morning is, <clears throat> My name is, and I'm...
thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would direct us and guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Many of us, in part, because the way we see ourselves deep down isn't necessarily flattering. Though we may say things like, I'm conversational or I'm shy or whatever, inside we may be thinking things like, hello, my name is whatever your name is, and I'm flawed, broken, damaged, and fearful. Or I'm a gossip, a drug addict, a worthless person that has been used by others and afraid of everything, angry and unloved. Most of us struggle with this inner negative self-definition because after all, we see ourselves as we really are We know the hateful thoughts that pop into our minds. We feel the anger that often lurks underneath the surface. And we live with the hurts that we've experienced and caused along life's journey. We know ourselves well enough to know the facade that sometimes we show the world. And it's exactly that, a facade, a shell hiding pain underneath Or sometimes we try to cover our feelings with imagining or projecting our ideal future self, the one that does everything just right, is at the top of their game and then dances their way through life because they have it all together. Well, I've come here today to tell you that Not everybody has it all together. And there may be a few fleeting moments where you feel like you've got control of stuff. But the majority of life is when you don't feel like you've got everything in control. But that's okay because there is one that knows how to control everything in your life if you just give him the opportunity. Praise God. Sometimes we define ourselves... And there's others that define ourselves. And this, if we're not careful, has severe implications. Seems like we go back often and time again to talk about media platforms and social platforms that are so comparative in nature. I want to tell you here today, stop comparing yourself to somebody else, but look at yourself through the eyes of God. He knows exactly who you you are, where you've been, what you're going through, and if you'll give him an opportunity, he knows where you're going. I'm thankful we serve the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't start something and then fails to finish it, but he continues the process of building us. He's the potter. He has power over the clay. You've got to put yourself in his hands. So we define ourselves and we categorize ourselves. And it's not just us, but there's other people that will do the same thing. And there's institutions and there's programs. And let me just say from the outset here, there are some programs that are doing their very best to help society and culture and all of that. And I'm not denigrating any of those things. But I will say this. I do want to make this very, very clear. A program is not going to solve your problem. A program may help you. It may, it may uh, give you 
you intelligence and bring some things to you that give to you wisdom, but ultimately it is not going to solve your problem. What is going to solve your problem is the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, a transformation in your life that radically changes the way you think, the way that you act, and everything about your life that causes you to do a 180 and look back and say, thank God, that's what I once was, but God saw me for what I could be. Hallelujah. Come on, saints. Let's thank the Lord together. This is what our message is. This is the good news. You don't have to stay in the same place. Praise God. But God can develop you and motivate you and challenge you. And so there are things that may help, but ultimately you need an experience in God that changes things. So if we're not careful, we take on all of these things as a negative self-identity. And it is found so very, very much in the scripture. <laughs> praise God. Let's, let's worship just for a moment with Sister Eloina right now. Oh, Lord, I thank you and praise you. Come on, church. Lift up your voice and praise him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your power. Thank you. Thank you for your ability. Praise God. Praise God. We give to you thanks. We praise you. We testify of your power and your strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and we honor you and we praise you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, that's all right. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue because we're going somewhere, but this is, connected to, this is connected to Sister Kendra and it's connected to Sister Eloina. Praise God. This message here today, this past week and conversations have spurred an inspiration in me. I, I, I don't want to keep approaching church the same way. Well, we're just coming to church and it, it's another day. No, it's the kingdom of God and there's power in it and there's authority in it and there's a move of God's spirit and an anointing that is breaking people out of paradigms and out of addiction and out of bondage because that's the kind of God that we serve. Hallelujah. I think it would be good if we would stand to our feet and thank God for every moment of liberty and every victory that God has performed in this place today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. She stopped going. Stop going to AA. So we can, if we're not careful, we take on some of these things. And they become a part of our life. And we think that somehow that's just going to be the way things are, which falls into the hopelessness we can find situations in Scripture where the enemies of God want to put and project that negativity on people. We can see this in 1 Samuel with David as he's facing off against Goliath. We know the story, but maybe you don't, so let me just give you a brief summary. The children of Israel are camped on one side of the valley of Elah, and on the other side, their enemies, the Philistines, are camped. And so there is a standoff. And there's no movement, and there is a man who is a behemoth of a man called Goliath that comes out and, 
and he's wanting to do a one-on-one -on -one kind of warfare. He's an infantryman. He carries a shield, a shield, a sword, and he's got all of these things. He's got an armor bearer, and so he's wanting another infantryman to come fight him. And so he comes out every day, and Saul, who is the king, and all the men of Israel are gathered together there. And every single day he comes out, and he breathes threatenings, and he tells, he defies them, he challenges them to bring out a man, and so there's this, and it's happening day after day. David happens to be tending his father's sheep, and his father tells him, take your brothers some lunch and see how things are going on the battlefront, which there is no battle because it's a stalemate. And when David shows up and he sees Goliath come out, he is so shocked and surprised by this, and so he, he wants to know what is going to be done, and nobody's doing anything. And King Saul is certainly not doing anything. And King Saul is more of an infantry man because he has all the implements and weaponry of war. And so David says something must be done. And so Saul tries to put the implements of infantry onto David. And David said, I, I haven't proved this. <laughs> this is not what I do. Uh, a lion has come. A bear has come. I'm tending the sheep. And I'm really good at slinging a stone. But I, I haven't proved any of these things. And so this is, this is not for me. And so he makes his way out to fight Goliath. And this is a, an entire amazing story here that's got a lot of ramifications here. And if you look at some Jewish historians and Malcolm Gladwell's book on the art of misfits uh, and giants, Malcolm Gladwell, who has Jewish history and background, did a lot of research in all of these forms of, of divisions of weaponry and what have you. And Malcolm Gladwell, the conclusion to Malcolm Gladwell is that David walking up to Goliath is like David taking a pistol and shooting him between the eyes because David has no intention of fighting him in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so he's making his way to Goliath, and he's going to do something about this. He sees that there is a cause, and Goliath says to him this, Am I a dog? This is how he's defining David. Am I a dog that you come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods and said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day the Lord will deliver me into mine hand. I will smite thee, take thine head from thee, and I will give it to the carcass of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Goliath tried to define David by saying you're nothing but a dog. You're just a ruddy boy. You are defined and measured by your image maturity and your age and your size but David said you come to me with all of that but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of the host of the armies of Israel something is greater on my side I'm not defined by my age I'm not defined by my side I'm defined by the power of God that is walking with me you can overcome any battle and any struggle as long as God's with you Goliath tried to define him. Jesus, in all of his ministry, the Bible said when he finished these parables, 
He came into his own country. He taught in their synagogue. They were astonished. They said he's got wisdom <laughs> and he's got mighty works. And then they said, is he not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence hath this man done all these things? And they were offended. So they projected an identity on Jesus. They acknowledged his wisdom. They acknowledged his works. They acknowledged his abilities, and they were astonished. And then they stopped short because they said, wait a minute. This is familiar. We know his family. Who is this? And they rejected him. They were offended in him. And Jesus said to his disciples, a prophet is not without honor, meaning he doesn't get honor in his own country and his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It blocked them and they projected a negativity on Jesus. This is God manifest in the flesh. If you don't think the enemy is going to try to project stuff on you, and negativity on you and try to define you by your failures, your addictions, your shortcomings. You're going to recognize really quick that was a false assumption because if they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to everybody else. He couldn't do a good work there because they marginalized him. They projected a self-negative identity upon him. And this negativity is debilitating, and it is restrictive, and it is binding. Praise God, don't be defined by your failure. I read a good book. I think last week we talked about Abraham. Abraham, every time he fails, he's not failing because he's rejecting God. He's failing because he's trying to help God. <laughs> and so he's doing all this stuff because he's trying to help God. If you fall, don't fall backwards, fall forwards. Well, I wish I had an apostolic in the house. Maybe we've got too many perfect people in this place. I said, when you fall, fall forwards. Fall forward and say, God, I'm going to learn from that. You're going to make me better. You're going to build me up, and I'm going to have a testimony someday because you took me through it. Fall forward, fall forward. And so don't be defined by your failures. Don't be defined by your problems. Don't be defined by your past addictions and struggles. Amen. Because you know what? God's got better things for you. Praise God. Nick, Nick, you've been coming for quite a while. Sunday mornings you come. And I was just notified, talking with you in the lobby a couple of weeks ago, that you have had a, a nicotine addiction struggle, but it's been, what, six months? Wait a minute, a year and a half. A year and a half you've overcome that. Listen, we got to stop talking about how powerful addictions are and there's no way to overcome them. Yes, there is. Through the empowerment of God, you can be more than an overcomer. You can overcome and then you can be more than an overcomer. You can be victorious and then you can be more victorious. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Folks, when you hear something good, rejoice. Hallelujah. Clap your hands. Let's rejoice with Nick a year and a half. 
Praise God. Praise God. So it can be debilitating, restrictive, binding. Paul does say, Paul does say that he is a sinner. But he's doing it in, a, in, a, in two different paradigms. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, says Paul. He's putting this in a situation where there is an old paradigm and a new paradigm. He is saying, I am the chiefest of all sinners. But he is saying, thanks be to the king immortal, eternal, the only wise God. Praise God, who is sovereign and who has all power in his hands. And so he's looking at things from two different paradigms, an old paradigm and a new paradigm. And this is why he tells the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We don't have a message that is truly powerful if we're demanding that people continue to say what they are when it's the old paradigm. We say something different. God has brought you out of the old paradigm and he's bringing you into the new paradigm and so you don't have to keep saying the things that you said in the past because God has pulled you out of the deep dysfunction and miry clay that you were in. Let's look closer at this. This is Paul. Paul gives his testimony. Every time Paul has an opportunity, he, he gives his testimony. And this is his full testimony. We're going to go through his full testimony here in Acts chapter 22. We're talking about two different paradigms. Paul is saying, I'm the chiefest of sinner, but he's, he's looking at it from the perspective of the past and then where God has brought him. And he gives his testimony, and this is what his testimony is in Acts chapter 22. Men and brethren and fathers, hear you my defense, which I make now unto you. He's making his defense. When they heard he spake in the Hebrew tongue, they kept the more silent and say it, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, 
Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered. <laughs> I like this part because he knew. He said, I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood, and he said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am prison and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. That's his testimony. Very difficult because he murdered, he put people in prison, he stood and watched people be stoned to death, and yet here he is, there is a past, there is a background that was horrific, and, and there it is, but God said, Paul, I've got something better for you. So I'm going to take those things in your past. And there's no way you can undo all of that, but you're going to take that into the fabric of your life. And the transformation that is going to occur in your life is going to make you not just a religious zealot, but not just a sinner, but I'm going to make you one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever, ever known. You're not going to be defined by your past that way you're going to be defined by my anointing and power working through you thank God God doesn't judge us on what's behind us he wants us to become something greater in the kingdom of God listen to me I'm preaching to somebody be used of God have a testimony but don't go back and define yourself by the old methods and the old ways of life Find yourself by the power that is in Jesus Christ. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord and let's love him together. Man, there's some ingredients of self-image and self-concept that are so important that's wrapped up in God's sovereignty. There's a sense of worth. The psalmist said, Psalm 139 Thou knowest my down-sitting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. 
Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my mouth, but lo, O Lord, that thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The psalmist recognized that God places such a high value on our life. And he knows us in such a way that David said, when I think about it, I can't even comprehend it. It's, it's too wonderful. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Praise God. A sense of worth is connected to God's sovereignty. How did David face Goliath? Because he knew God was with him. God's sovereignty. How does Jesus plow through being rejected by his own? Because he's God manifested in the flesh and he recognizes his purpose and destiny has the sovereignty of God connected to it. How does Paul look at the, I mean, there had to have been situations when Paul's looking at the very people that he persecuted and fractured their families. And they're in the same synagogue and he's standing there and he's got to face that pressure. How does he do that? He does it because of God's sovereignty. He recognizes, look, I'm here and I completely don't understand it like the psalmist, but I'm here because of God's sovereignty and God knows what he's doing. And so I know it's kind of crazy here, but we're in the kingdom of God together and God is great and he's sovereign over all things. And so let's move the kingdom of God forward. It's connected to God's ability. So self-worth is, love is. The psalmist also said, whither I, shall I go from your presence or whither shall I flee? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. You are pursuing me. You're reaching for me. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Meaning, God, you can penetrate into the darkness of where I am. And when you get there, there's a light that's illuminated. How in the world do you pursue me like that? Because this is what a sovereign God does. He is sovereign. He values you as a person, and he loves you. Amen. I like that. If you're here today, you don't feel love, God loves you. Praise God. If other people have judged you, God loves you. Praise God. We need to be careful, very, very careful when we look at the outside because on the outside we may see one thing, but God's working on the inside. So it doesn't matter what they look like, how mean they look, how much they kind of want to reject. And, man, I greeted them and they kind of turned me away. You just keep letting the light of God shine through because the light shines into the darkness and God is God is pursuing. Come on Sister Rena, we're in this together. Sometimes you greet somebody and they look at you like you've lost your mind. Don't stop greeting them. Penetrate. Penetrate. You know why? Because God's reaching them. It's connected to his sovereignty. And then that's connected to, I mean, if, if you have a sense of self-worth and you feel loved, it's connected to a certain confidence that you bring. The psalmist said, thou hast possessed my range. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. 
Praise God. I will praise, this is, this is a great passage of scripture for why we believe in life. The psalmist said, you possessed my reins, meaning my beginnings. You covered me in my mother's womb. And so he said, because you know those intricacies of who I am, he said, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are your works and that my soul knoweth right well. There's a certain confidence that comes when you feel self-worth and you feel loved and you feel confident. And then the last part is you feel secure. Same chapter, verse number 15, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and yet in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Praise God. You want to get into some deep theological stuff right here? We preach that God brings life. And in some cases, people bring death. What happens to all of the innocents in these particular cases when they're unperfect and they are substance, and yet the scripture said, in thy book all of my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. It can be very, very traumatic for people who have undergone these kind of experiences and then later regret decisions that they've made and they try to get their head around, how am I going to be judged and what should I carry in the weight of all that, this is very, very difficult stuff. And we do know from the New Testament when Paul is talking about children, children for a particular time frame are underneath the authority of their parents. So if their parents are bringing them to the house of God, this is one of the reasons why you don't want to move too fast in baptizing children because they're under your umbrella. If you are a child of God, you're bringing them to the house of God, God's working in your life and you're in the kingdom of God, those children are underneath that umbrella. And so if you, if you move too fast and baptize them before they realize what's going on, then, then they don't have a clear understanding of what they're doing. And you don't want that because later in their life they may look back and they may be a little conflicted because they don't remember and I, I'm not sure what it was. And so now in my life I've reached this level of growth and maturity. Every person should be able to look back and say, man, what amazing thing happened in a baptismal tank when I was baptized. And you should never forget that. And so you don't, you don't move too fast with children because they're under your umbrella. So if you take that New Testament theology and you bring it in here to this Old Testament passage where the psalmist is revealing about how God knows, it just helps me to put it into some kind of structure to say that God has a special place for people and, and, and things that have been aborted in life. And he is a just God. He's a righteous God. And he's full of mercy. And I'm glad he's God. He's sovereign. I'm not. And so I'm just going to put that on him and say, God, you know all things and you know how to do all things right. So I am resting in that. My identity is not wrapped up in myself. It is not wrapped up in this world. It is not wrapped up in the enemy that tries to, to push all this stuff on me. My identity is wrapped up in a name that is above every name. Why would you not be baptized in that name? Your identity is connected to that name. You say, well, it doesn't really matter 
titles. It absolutely matters. The identity of Jesus is who you are connected to. Who is the Father? Who is the Son? Who is the Holy Ghost? It's Jesus. Get it right. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. So there's a security that comes. Musicians, you can come. From your beginning, he has marked your days. World events, cultural trends, emotional trials, none of these will default God's predetermined plan. And so I can live securely knowing that God's hand controls all things. You know, most of us, if we're really being honest here today, most of us lack <clears throat> or suffer from low self-esteem. <laughs> Stop thinking about it. Even that guy that has, man, he's got such esteem. No, he's covering something. <laughs> or she is, right? There's <laughs> every single one of us have got, we're human. And some have less self-esteem than others. And we've got things in our background. <clears throat> maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's our intellect, maybe it's, so we, we carry all this stuff and then we try to shuffle things around to try to leverage, in some cases we leverage money, time, efforts, talents against others so we make ourselves feel better or we overcompensate. My family knows when I'm in an environment and it, I just, it's like, it's either too quiet, people are not doing enough, uh, there's not enough movement, what have you, and I feel a little awkward. And so what I start doing is overcompensating. And so they'll tell me, here, Dad, you're overcompensating. Bring it down just a little bit. It's like, well, there needs to be more conversation here. It's kind of quiet. I say, yeah, yeah, but you don't have to drive it. Settle down. Right. Or in church sometimes, you're just a little off. Okay. I'm not taking anything. Okay. I'm not on anything. I'm just trying to. I, I, I want there to be move of God. All right, well, I, I have to recognize I'm not the one that brings the move of God. God's the one that brings the move of God. And so uh, I got to do what I, what I need to do. And if nobody else wants to move of God, then I got to be settled that it's me that wants to move God, and that's good enough, right? So we all have these. But here, here's, here's what I want to say about this. The cause of low self-esteem is simple. We're judging ourselves by the wrong standard. low self-esteem because I'm judging myself by the wrong standard. I'm judging myself by the standard of others. Uh, and it's based on a distorted perception of reality. Now, let me go back to our text verse because I know you're wanting to get back to it. Some of you are. You're wanting to get back to it. It was a tough standard right at the beginning because it lays out all the things that people cannot be if they're going to enter into the kingdom of God, and that's pretty rough. And it goes to a lot of stuff, right? So I want to read it again because it's a continual thought, so let's read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators... That's sexual immorality. Idolaters, that could be a lot of stuff. 
either worshiping something that is actual physical or putting something in the place of God as idolatry. Adulterers, sexual relationships outside of marriage. Effeminate, effeminate does not, that does not mean a certain softness of masculinity there. Effeminate there means somebody that allows themselves to be abused by mankind is what that means. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's the old paradigm, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says in the next verse, this is the liberating standard. See, if you stay in that, that's bondage. I said if you stay in that, that is bondage. But there is a liberating standard that is also at play in Paul's own testimony. And he says, and such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God brought you out of that. You were that, but he brought you into something else. Stop measuring yourself by that standard and measure yourself by the right standard. What standard am I going to measure myself by? I'm going to measure myself by the power of the cross. Praise God, it's through the power of the cross. I can't help but read this in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 14. Praise God, Sister Rena. Rena's just moving to the front quick. It's awesome. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. God, we need to stand for this one because this is the punchline. Are you ready? We have gathered together today for this meeting here in the sanctuary Sunday morning. Hi. My name is Kevin, and I'm a child of God. me to define myself by my failures or my past? Mr. Kindred, we want to identify you as someone that had a fentanyl addiction. That in some cases, you went through all the fentanyl patches that the doctor prescribed, and you were so addicted that you, you saved every single one of them because you knew when it ran out, you needed to go back and grab all the old ones and patch them all together just to get just a little more. Would God want you to be identified that way? Absolutely not. God wants to identify you as a child of God. Sister Lisa, would God want to identify you as a heroin addict for how many years was it? I don't know how many years it was. Your entire life, basically. No. 
identify you as a child of man. I feel the Holy Spirit. How do you want to be identified with? If it was the world identifying you, it would be a person that has suffered much abuse. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to identify you by the old paradigm. I'm going to identify you by the child of God that you are. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says that you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses <laughs> blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross you know how I'm identifying myself I'm identifying myself through the power of the cross Man, there's so much in that. He loved me and he died for me and he shed his blood for me, which washes and cleanses and blots out everything that would try to identify me and define me. And so I'm identified it through the power of his glory. I, I, I'm just really excited. And I, I don't know if some of you are not as excited maybe as I am here this morning. But what, what excited me is sitting across the table from Eloina, who went to AA for six years. Sorry, seven years. Seven years. She told me, I'm sitting in AA seven years saying I am Eloina and I'm an alcoholic and I'm listening to people say that for seven years she said that is bondage about a week ago she said I'm not going back not going back not going back Every Friday night for seven years. That doesn't excite you. I don't know what will. She said, I'm not going back. So what are you doing on what are you doing on Friday nights? Well, I'll go to Elements or I'll step into the sanctuary and I'll pray because I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a child of God. Hi, my name is Kevin. I'm a child of God. Hi, my name is Robbie Frost. I'm a child of God. Hi, my name is Brian Gray. I'm a child of God. Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a child of God. You need to find a place up here today in this altar, and you need to declare that and say, God, you see exactly where I am. You see all the circumstances in my life. I'm coming to you today to lift my hands into the air, and I'm here to proclaim I am a child of God. You love me. You gave yourself for me. You empower me. You strengthen me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
us out of dark situations, but he liberates us. He takes us from dark pasts and histories, but he frees us. talk to you for a few moments before you leave today. Praise God. Hallelujah. Help me to turn off the voices in the world. Help me to turn off my own voice in my own head and help me to listen to something that is greater. Help me to listen for the power and anointing of Calvary and the work of Calvary. You bring healing. You bring anointing. You bring a touch of God. I stand before you today. Hallelujah. I stand before Thanks and praise Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, say it, say it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child.
always look for opportunity. So while we're praying together in the house of God right now, I, need, I want you to look around you. There's somebody that is close by you. Put your hands on them and pray for them. Hallelujah. Lift up your voice and agree together. I worship you, Lord, and praise you. We agree together in an altar service here today. We step into the role of ministry because you have made us high priests. We're praying and seeking you and agreeing that you are a healer and you bring strength to us. Hallelujah. We thank you for the empowerment and anointing of Calvary and the healing that you bring. My life is identified by that. I should not even be here in the house of God. Hallelujah. Because I was the chiefest of sinners, but his blood washed me. Hallelujah. His blood cleansed me and renewed me. Hallelujah. And for that reason, I lift my hands boldly and I proclaim boldly without fear and intimidation that I am a child of God. I'm a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. I reap the benefits of God's goodness. The favor of God is upon my life and I'm thankful and grateful for what he richly does. us here today let's let's do this together okay I made it easy for you I made it easy for you in my title all right so we're all <laughs> we're all gonna say it together right yeah you put you put your name in for and you know what the last part is right all right so ready one two three hi my name is Kevin and I'm a child of God 